Good morning. Thank you for being with us today. You are listening to An Artist Speaks, presented by Contemporary Art Gallery Online. Contemporary Art Gallery Online represents tomorrow's art giants today. Come visit us at ContemporaryArtGalleryOnline.com, and there you can view and purchase great works of contemporary art, check out our monthly art competitions and exhibitions, our blog and newsletter, view videos of our artist's work, and listen to artist interviews from this show. Today, our guest is Jason Levy. Jason was born in Italy but came to the United States at the age of 10 and was raised in New York City. Jason graduated from St. John's Law School and practiced criminal defense law for 10 years before returning to Europe where he owned and operated commercial and portrait photography studios in Barcelona, Spain, and Rome, Italy. For several years, as a portrait photographer, he was the official portrait photographer for the Spanish royals, the Duke and Duchess of Cadiz, and for Salvador Dali. Well, good morning, Jason, and welcome to An Artist Speaks. Thank you. Good morning. Glad to be here. Well, we're happy to have you, and let's start off this morning by having you tell the audience just a little bit more about yourself, Jason. More than happy to. I was raised in New York City, and um, my father was in uh, show business, and the sense that he owned at the time uh, two nightclubs in New York uh, with the uh, Jules Fidel, who was at the time the owner of the Copacabana, and my mother was the set designer for these clubs. And she would uh, dress the uh, for the shows and uh, dress these sets, and that's how I got interested and raised in the art world. I was raised by mm-hmm. uh, among artists, and so when I finished my law school and I and I practiced law, I really wanted to be go back into the art world. And so after ten years of practicing, I I was married already, and I went, we returned to to Barcelona, Spain, which is where my wife is from and where we got met and married. And uh, I opened up a um, photographic commercial studio. I had graduated also from the New York Institute of Photography, so I had the training for it. And we also opened up another studio in Rome, and we did commercial photography of advertising for print and for television videos. At the time, it was just getting started. And I also became the uh, official portrait photographer, as you said, of the Duke and Duchess of Cadiz. Uh, the Duchess was the granddaughter of the then ruling Francisco Franco. And uh, I did their family portrait in their home in Madrid. And Salvador Dali uh, became a friend. Uh, I met him as a particularly interesting. Uh, I called him on the phone, picked his name out of the phone book, called him, appointment, and so we drove up to see him. And he was a very, very cordial person. And very great general, a great gentleman, and I became his portrait photographer for all his events and for his his private uh, life. I exhibited in the Museum of Toledo, Ohio, and I received. And I and recently, in 2015, I was part of the exhibit of the Exposure Awards at the Louvre Museum in Paris. Um, my photography, I got involved in photography because I like to create images. My entire life, I, I see things in images. And that's how I, I wanted to show the world that photography is more than just snapping a picture, but that it can be a work of art. And it's taken years to convince people of this, but I think today 
more and more people are realizing that photography is a work of art. And so Adams uh, was a great pioneer in this, and I try to imitate his work, not in black and white, but in color as much as possible. And so I do, uh, I live in, in, in the Southwest, and I do landscape photography of the area, and I do dramatic landscapes to, uh, to show the world that uh, we live in a very, very, very uh, enviable, picturesque, photogenic part of the United States. That you do, having been, uh, been in that area myself. Well, let me ask you, Jason, uh, so you've been taking photographs, may I ask, for how many years now? I say uh, almost 40. So you do you still use a camera or have you, you know, joined the digital age? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, we started out in film, of course, because it wasn't digital at the right. time. But you have to, right. if you want to stay current, you must stay with, with the time. And yes, I do right. use digital and I also use films. I have two full frame digital Nikon cameras and I also have two 4x5 view cameras that, that I use. And do you develop your own film when you do uh, film work? No, because if it's color, color transparency. I send it out to a lab, and uh, I then scan the transparencies. I'm talking now referring to the 4x5 format, uh, mm-hmm. because right. there I, I do you have to use film. And so I then scan it into a digital file, and I do my post-processing for both the uh, digital uh, files as well as the film that has been transferred into digital with Photoshop and Lightroom. Uh, these are musts. Uh, these are not uh, tricks. They're not uh, people say, well, you're doctoring the photos. No, we're not doctoring any photos. We're simply using the same techniques that the old photographers, Ansel Adams was famous for this, of dodging and burning, except instead of doing it uh, underneath a projector in a, in a dark room, we now do it with the click of a mouse on a computer. Right, right. Well, that is quite often uh, an argument that gets, you know, that comes up sometimes uh, regarding uh, photography and the photography arts. But uh, I, I certainly agree with you. It is just a matter of, of it just being a more modern way of doing things that they've done for years. Well, uh, you're right. Uh, you, if you want to stay, you must stay current or you're, you're left behind. And that goes for any field. Lawyers take right. uh, 24 hours of CLE classes every year. The same with accountants and so forth and so on. You must stay current. Mm-hmm. You cannot be left behind. Uh, I make no apologies for using the tools that we use in digital and enhancing the photographs. You make them look better. You make them look more dramatic. You're not changing the subject matter, uh, though you yeah. certainly can if you want to, but you're making it. We're selling images and uh, today, with everyone having a smartphone that can take a picture of mm-hmm. good quality, by the way, uh, you must keep, you must, you want to sell, you want people to buy and, and pay money for your photographs, to have on their wall, they have to have something that they can't take with their smartphone. They must That's have an right. image. We're creating an imagery. My company is called J.M. Levy Imagery, not J.M. Levy 
photography. That's good to know. And let's uh, let's talk about your imagery then. Tell the audience you do landscapes for the most part now. So tell the audience where you get your uh, ideas and and how you go about uh, doing a shoot. Do a lot of research before we go out. I, I travel a lot by car. I just finished a fifty-two-hundred mile trip to seven states in August. Uh, I do a lot of research. Oh, wow. So, uh, so I, I know exactly where I want and exactly what I want to do. And we have done places like the Grand Canyon, Bryce Canyon, Zion, Glacier National, uh, Yellowstone, uh, because these are iconic uh, landmarks of the area. And I try to bring out not just I try to bring out not only the landscape but also the skies of the southwest which are very very dramatic. Uh, you have, have lived out in this area and know how the sunsets mm-hmm. can be with the clouds and how dramatic they can be. Oh yeah. So I try to I try to incorporate all of this into one picture that will show not just a geographical landmark but the drama. The, the colors of the of the soil, of the minerals, the reds, the oranges, com- uh, contrasting with the blue of the skies or the or the yellow of the uh, or the orange of the clouds at sunset. These makes these make to me in my in my opinion very dramatic dramatic uh, scenes. Mm-hmm. So, is there a preferred time of day that you usually uh, do your shoots? I usually do my shoots in the in the afternoon, which is called the gold. We call it the golden hour, and there is a mm-hmm. reason why it's called the golden hour, and that's because if you really look between the hours, depending on the seasons, of course, that changes whether it's winter or summer or, or whatever. Uh, it can usually runs around six six fifteen to about seven o'clock or seven fifteen or seven thirty in the summer. Do you actually get a, a yellow, a gold light? illuminates everything, and that brings out the shadows. Now, some photographers also do it at dawn. I don't do dawn, and I am going to be very frankly about dawn, because I don't like getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning. So I make no apologies for that, but I do do the golden hour, which is called. And there's also, I, I would like to add briefly to any photographers that may be, or people that may be interested in this, that after the golden hour, when the sun sets over the horizon, there is something called the blue hour. And that's, that's just before it becomes totally dark and after the sun has gone down over the horizon. And it lasts for about maybe 45 minutes. I don't do that because I just feel that the blue hour doesn't really bring out that much, and it requires a lot of post post-processing to bring out anything. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather not do this for the cold blue hour. So I think the golden hour is my preferred time. Well, on an average at a shoot, uh, how many images do you think you, you take uh, at, at I, your shoot? You know, we, we used to say in film that film is cheap. And, and, <laughs> and it, well, it wasn't, it wasn't really cheap, but if you wanted to, you, mm. to do a shoot for a client... Maybe we would shoot a ratio of maybe ten to one, meaning that for every one mm-hmm. picture that we that was accepted, we would take ten pictures. Right. And I I maintain that same principle today. 
five takes maybe of the same scene at different angles, different exposures, uh, 10, maybe 12, depending on, on whether or not on the lighting and so forth, because I like to have a choice. I like to have a choice. Sometimes you can do this in digital. In film, you couldn't do this. You can uh, right. call blending, digital blending, where you can take two or three images and blend them together to make one and get the best of each one. So that's the, the, the technique, uh, digital blending, that I recommend to photographers because that really is a great tool to bring out all the shadows, to bring out all the highlights of, of, of a picture rather than just working off one file. Well, tell the audience the process you go through then in your post-production uh, with uh, your uh, imagery. Certainly. I open up an image and I first do it in Lightroom. Uh, I like them as a great tool. It doesn't quite have the, uh, the, all, the, the all of the tools and, and, will, and bells and whistles that Photoshop does, but it's produced also by Adobe. And I, the first thing I do is I bring down the highlights and I open up all the shadows. That tells me that takes everything to an extreme. Then from there, I go to the white slider and I simply move it until I have just enough white that I want in it, and then I go to the black, mm-hmm. and I move it to the left just to have enough black, depending on the, on the image, enough black to create to balance it out. So by this, you are actually, by digging all through the extremes of the highlight and the shadows, one down, the highlights down, the shadows up, you are really, you can recreate the scene and balance the colors because uh, I recommend to all digital photographers, which is what pre-professionals do, shoot in RAW. If you have a camera, shoot, put it in the RAW format. Do not shoot JPEG. Mm-hmm. JPEG is, uh, it, it really uh, deteriorates the image. And deteri- it does, and mm-hmm. Because it condenses all the colors, you don't get the full gamma of colors that you do with RAW. So shoot in RAW and there is a raw camera uh, um, format in both Lightroom and in Photoshop. And then after you finish working on the image, then you'll finally save it, final saving, save it in JPEG, because that's what most competitions and most labs work on, JPEG files. Mm-hmm. But that's your last save. During your process, save it as a Photoshop format, PSD. So when you first, we after you make your first save, save it in the Photoshop format and keep it that way until you make your last, last, last image, and then save it as a JPEG. That's my advice to all digital photographers. Well, that's great advice, and uh, thank you for sharing that with uh, with our audience, Jason. Well, I'm happy to do so because I know that that many photographers don't especially uh, you know, as a hobby or an amateur photographer. I, most serious amateur photographers know this, and they do it this way. But the vast majority just do it in JPEG, and they shoot it in JPEG, and it looks great on their uh, view on the finder in their camera, mm-hmm. and that's great. But it, and one more thing, every time you save on JPEG, you deteriorate the image. So you have a, if you start with a JPEG image, and that's JPEG, JPEG image, and you start saving mm-hmm. and saving because you made a correction. Every time you save that, you're deteriorating the image. Oh, wow. Well, I didn't know that. Uh, that's very interesting information. 
Yes. I'm willing to share my information, Mike, because I don't, I don't claim to possess any secrets. I, mm-hmm. uh, I, I am constantly learning. I also advise photographers to please check out websites like Serge Ramelli, R-A-M-E-L-L-I, uh, Jimmy McIntyre. Uh, these are for free. They'll give you, or they'll give you uh, tips. They'll show you how things are done. If they don't, these are world-class photographers that I admire. In fact, Serge and I are friends. And we're, having, we're conducting a masterclass uh, workshop in Barcelona in March of this year, the both of us. He's oh, wow. in Paris and, uh, and L.A. Mm-hmm. for landscape photography. There are no secrets. I have, we have no problem. These people, they share them online. It doesn't cost anything. And you can learn a lot for how to use Photoshop, how to use Lightroom, there are no secrets, ladies and gentlemen. There are no secrets mm-hmm. in art. Every artist has his own method, his own style, and don't we have, we're not afraid of sharing anything. Well, that is good, and I do find that's true with uh, the vast majority of artists, uh, whether they are uh, photographers or painters or even sculptors. Most artists are great about sharing. Uh, you know, maybe how they do uh, create a certain brushstroke or a certain look to the to a painting, and in the same way, in their how they create a certain look in in their photography images. That's true, and uh, because no one can really copy anyone, you you, you can become inspired. I become inspired uh, from my photography from the great masters like Caravaggio, Rembrandt. Velasquez, uh, I, I use their lighting. I use their lighting, the, the dramatic lighting, the, the shadows, the, the chiaroscuros. I try to add this to, I did it with my portrait work, uh, and, uh, and I do it with my landscape work. I, and I do the same methods, like I said earlier, of dodging and burning, except we do it now with Photoshop and Lightroom, the same, but it's the same, the same creative process and this is what counts. It's not the mechanics that counts. It's the creative process. How you get to that goal, to that final image, is not important. What's important is seeing it in your mind, and that either you're born with that or you're not. And I, I'm, I'm very, and I'm very. I mean, there are some. It's like you can sing or you can't sing. You can learn. You can take lessons. <laughs> but, if you, but if you don't have the voice. You're not going to sing. So if you don't have the creative talent, and not everyone has that creative talent, if you don't have mm-hmm. it, it's going to be an uphill struggle and a disappointing one. But if you have it, how you achieve it is not important. At least that's my point of view. Well, that's a very uh, interesting outlook on that, Jason. And uh, I think uh, we're at a point here where it's a good time to take a quick commercial break. And then we'll come back, we'll talk about uh, a couple of your art pieces that you have here on the gallery. And I want to let our listeners know that you can view and purchase Jason Lee's artwork by going to contemporaryartgalleryonline.com, click on the Search by Artist tab, and then on the Featured Artist tab and look for Jason Levy's name. Contemporary Art Gallery Online is the number one source for showcasing tomorrow's art giants, So if you're an artist seeking gallery representation, 
click on the artist member corner at the bottom of the home page and follow the prompts under the member application process tab. And if you're a designer or an architect or just a lover of art who believes art can turn a house into a home, then come visit us and review some of the wonderful art created by some of the finest artists from around the world. You can search by style, medium, color, size, and, of course, by the individual artist. And, again, to view Jason Levy's art, just click on the search gallery tab and then follow the prompts to Jason Levy's name. Well, Jason, uh, let's talk about uh, one of the landscapes you have here on the gallery, uh, the Canyon de Chez. Yes, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, that's one of my favorite pieces. Uh, Canyon de Chez is in northeastern Arizona, and it's in the midst of the Navajo Indian Reservation, which is the largest Indian reservation in the country. And uh, it is a mini Grand Canyon. It's not quite as wide. Uh, quite as, as deep as the Grand Canyon, of course, but it's it, it's very spectacular. It's created by by the Colorado River, and the uh, and it has all these uh, these these, these uh, stratas with different colors on it. Uh, the interesting point about this is that we were at one of the outlooks, and when I say we, I mean my wife and I. Her name is Marissa, and we, I was taking this uh, photograph, or as we say in photography, shooting it. And uh, standing next to us was this little woman uh, who seemed to have, by her features to be an uh, Indian American, American Indian, Native American. And, but she was dressed in regular Western clothing, West, not Indian clothing. And uh, she looked at me and said, out of nowhere, my house, is, I, I live down there, my house is down there. And sure enough, I looked over, down at the bottom of, of the, the very bottom of the canyon, there was this small home surrounded by trees with a green lawn. And it gets quite an impression because next to it was this huge, huge, tall wall of, uh, of stone, which was the canyon walls. And mm-hmm. she said to, to us, I came up here because I just planted that, that facade on the lawn, and I wanted to see what it looked like. So... <laughs> I mean, and then we, and then she explained that her mother had left for this home when she was she had been a school teacher and lived off the reservation, and now that she was retired, her mother had passed away and had left for the home, and now she was living there twelve months of the year. And that was I thought that was rather. And how often does this happen that you meet someone who lives in Canyon de Chez? There are about forty families and and Navajo families that live in Canyon de Chez. And I thought that was rather unique. I thought that was a very, she invited us and gave us her phone number to call her up there again, and she would come pick us up and take us to her home because you can only get there by Jeep. Uh, it's, that's very rough terrain to get them down there. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was rather a unique uh, experience. And I, I, I can't, I, you can't make this stuff up. It, it was something so wonderful. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I call, and her name was Genevieve, and, I, and someday I'll do something with her home because I took a picture of it. But it was a very, very, very interesting experience. Well, that is a great story. And uh, having grown up in the Southwest, uh, I traveled to Canyon del Chale on several occasions. I actually prefer going there to the Grand Canyon. Now, not to say that no one should go visit the Grand Canyon. Everybody needs to see the Grand Canyon. But I just like the scenery around Canyon del Chale better. That's just me. 
Well, I agree. I agree. I think it has more. The Grand Canyon is beautiful, as you say. Nothing can take that away from it. Uh, but I, Canyon de Chez is more small, as you know. But it has these mm-hmm. these homes, these the adobe homes that are built by the Indians, by the by the Native Americans, you know, maybe 500, 700 years ago, that are that are inside wow. the wall. And I think that that is something which is so unique. So like Mesa, it's like Mesa Verde Park in New Mex in in New Mexico. Uh, I think that is something done by humans that is something extremely unique. And it only exists, doesn't exist in Europe. It doesn't exist in Europe. In Europe, they have caves with paintings on the caves, inside the caves and on the walls of the caves. But they don't have this. Uh-huh. They don't have structures built inside a crevice of a canyon. Well, speaking of that, another image uh, you have is the White House ruins. To, uh, tell the audience uh, about uh, that image. Yeah, well, the, the White House ruins is, uh, in, of course, one of the overlooks in Canyon de Chez. And uh, it's, it was, it is, it's more than one home. It's several ruins altogether. The largest one, which is the main feature in the, in the image, is in, in a multiple... The first apartment building. It was like an apartment building. You know, this is what so was mind blowing about this. That maybe seven hundred years ago, then the Pueblo Indians that lived there and disappeared. Uh, no one knows why they left. Uh, some people guessed that it was because of uh, the drought that lasted for many years, mm-hmm. and they finally left. But there's no and there's no evidence of why they left. Uh, they built these homes with ladders that went into different areas. And is their apartment buildings. And the nice thing about this particular uh, white uh, house is that it's so in great shape. It looks like if they left yesterday. And it's so large. And, and if you go there and you go at the right time of day, the sun that hits it, really, it's, on a, it's like a spotlight that hits it. And I, I thought that, that was, you can, you can actually go down, it's about a mile hike, down to the bottom of it, but I think the best picture, and if anyone wants to do this, yes, you want to go hike and take a look at it closer up, yes, but if you want to take a picture of it, you're, you're down, it's too, you're too low and you're too close, and it's too big. So if you want to shoot it or photograph it, you have to do it from the overlook. That's the best place to do it. Well, the image that you have there on the gallery is, is a very uh, beautiful image, and uh, I you know, thank you for for sharing sharing these images with us. And the last image uh, let's talk about is Horseshoe Bend. Horseshoe Bend. That is a you know that is right outside of Page, Arizona, which is famous because Page, Arizona is at the northern part of Arizona, just uh, about maybe a hundred miles east of the Grand Canyon. It's worth going because of two things. Number one, the Horseshoe Bend, which we'll get into in a moment. Uh, but there's also the Slot Canyons, which are a mile away, which are run by the Navajo uh, Nation. And you go inside these canyons, and uh, in the summer, the light that comes in, that comes in through the canyon holes, really illuminates. It's the only source of illumination. And the light bounces off the particles of sandstone that are floating in the air. So the light bounces off these, these, these particles and lights up the entire, the, the entire uh, slot, the canyon slot. But getting back to, your, to the 
Horseshoe Bend. The Horseshoe Bend has, be careful going to the Horseshoe Bend. It's about a quarter of a mile walk from the parking lot to, to no path. It's really, very, it's kind of rough. So just be careful walking mm-hmm. there, a quarter of a mile. But there is no barrier. So when you get to the edge, don't get too close because there is absolutely no barrier. <laughs> it's, formed, it's formed by the Colorado River. And it's actually it's called a horseshoe bend because it actually goes around and forms this island in the middle. And the, the river continues going around and it, and, it, and it goes down again and forms this island in the middle, giving it the shape of a horseshoe. And it has all these colors, especially around, I said before, the golden hour. It has all these colors. You can only shoot it and I'm, and I'm saying this to recommend this to anyone going there, with a very wide-angle lens. A 28-millimeter, which is what most people have, is not going to be wide enough. You need a 16 or a whore fisheye lens because it's huge. Mm. It, is, it is immense. It's, it's, it's very big, but it's very dramatic, and it's an, an iconic view of, of the Southwest. It's been featured in many, many Western movies, and has in, and in, right. in magazines, it's it's certainly a must see. It's about a page is about a four hour drive from Phoenix North. Well, that whole part of the country, uh, the petrified forests near there, uh, the meteorite I forget what they call it, but there's that. Hey, the, the meteorite, meteorite the crater, yes. Yeah, yeah, the crater, yeah. That is all in that area, and and I I could spend a week there. I'm Sure, <laughs> just going to all those places. Well, we feel very, we feel very privileged living here because we photographers come from all over the world and travel thousands of miles, and you see you meet people from all over the world, and you hear languages. It's like Babylon; you hear languages from all over being spoken at the same mm-hmm. time, and we have it in our backyard within driving distance—a four-hour drive, <laughs> a five-hour drive—and we have it right here. Yep. And when, I feel very privileged about this. Uh, even if I have to drive to Wyoming, which I've done many times in the Glacier National Park, mm-hmm. it's, um, what is it, it's a two-day drive, a two-day trip, three-day nice, nice road trip. And you get to see something which people spend thousands of dollars and travel thousands of miles, and we have it right here. Mm-hmm. And that's what I like to show. I like to show this because America, this to me is what America is all about. You know, you have your large cities, you have this, but our landscape is something that is extremely, very, very unique. Well, that is so true, Jason. And we're getting near the end of the show, and one of the questions I always like to ask, and especially successful artists uh, who've been in the business for a number of years, is advice that they would give to someone that was just starting out in the art industry. Well, I would say... uh, persevere, find your niche, uh, get inspired by other photographers, go see photographers, photography shows, see what the other photographers do. Not to copy, not to copy, but to find your niche. You may see something and say, you know, cityscapes, I love to do it. That really caused my attention. Landscapes, portraits, uh, uh, street photography, which is now becoming very popular. I think I, I don't mm-hmm. do it because I think it's a little dangerous pointing pointing cameras at strangers. I don't recommend at all. But uh, <laughs> I, find, but find your niche, and then once you find your niche, 
persevere at it. Enter contests, no matter how small they are. Enter competitions. It doesn't make any difference whether they're important or they're not important. Start getting your name around. Get a web page. You must get a website. Get a website. And get the best equipment you can afford. Because with, you need yeah, photography, unlike painting, which is, a, which is a relatively small investment, you need good equipment. And you must travel. A painter can paint in his living room. A photographer has to go out and get the paint and, and get the picture. And I would just like to say, the difference between being a painter and being a photographer is that painters... It's an art of adding. Photography is an art of eliminating. By this I mean the painter has a blank canvas that he has to add every stroke and every image he has to add to that blank canvas. We have our canvas is already there. It's already painted. What we must have the eye is to eliminate what is not important and just focus on what we want to emphasize. And that requires cropping. That requires maybe taking out stuff. That is the art of elimination. And that is what photography is. It's the art of elimination. And I would say, do not stop learning. Do not stop learning. Well, Jason, that's a great analogy and certainly great advice, especially for someone that has been in the business uh, as long as you have and have seen all the changes, I'm sure it has been remarkable, the changes uh, in the photography uh, art over the years. It, it is quite amazing, isn't it? It's been a revolution. It's been a revolution. Digital photography has revolutionized things. The idea that in, in the old days in film, you had to take it, not see what you've done, until you got it back and come with these two contacts and then look at them before you made a choice as what you wanted to print. Now it's instant. Mm-hmm. Now, and also the cost. Film was not cheap. The lab wasn't cheap. So you got to do it to see a picture. It, it required a, a substantial investment if you, if you were doing it, especially on a basis, commercial basis. But mm-hmm. today it's, for, it's cheap. It's for free. You, you can take it, see it instantly, eliminate it, or whatever you want to do, or you can keep it. But you can make a decision right then and there. And that's a, that, to me, is revolutionary. It, take, it took a yeah. while to get used to it, but the principle is the same. Once you do it, the principle is the same. Like I said, it's the creative process remains the same all the time. But it's been a revolution. Well, Jason, it's been wonderful speaking with you today, and thank you for coming on An Artist Speaks. Well, thank you for inviting me, Mike. It was a great pleasure to be able to share my world and my thoughts with you and with the audience. Well, and before we go here, uh, real quick, uh, tell the audience, uh, give the audience your uh, website address. Certainly, my, my pleasure. Please visit www.photolevy.com. Well, Jason, thanks again for being on the show today, and we look forward to seeing more of your art on the gallery. Thank you, Mike. It's been a pleasure. And I also want to thank our listeners for being with us today. And again, to view Jason Levy's stunning art, or to listen to this interview, and of course purchase some of Jason's art, visit us at Contemporary Art Gallery Online. 
I want to let all the artists listening in today know that Contemporary Art Gallery Online hosts a monthly art competition and exhibition. To enter your art, just click on the Art Competition tab and follow the prompts. And while you're there, you can check out all of our upcoming competitions and exhibitions as well. And if you're an architect, interior designer, or just someone who loves art and likes to have interesting and beautiful art adorning your walls, then visit us at Contemporary Art Gallery Online and view some of the most exciting original art that you just can't find anywhere else. And while visiting our gallery, we would love for you to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog. So please sign up so you can keep up with all that is happening at the gallery. And Artist Speaks airs every other Saturday morning, so we'll meet again in two weeks. But next Saturday at the same time, be sure to listen to our show, The Business of Art, hosted by artist and published author Sharon Hawkshaw, as she shares tips and ideas on how artists can grow their business. Again, thank you for listening to us today, and have a great rest of your weekend.